0: So this evening, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going to be talking about biblical decision-making. Biblical decision-making. In other words, a lot of questions that come up uh, in terms of how do I make these, these natural decisions of life that I'm faced with all the time. So I want to start this off by sharing an embarrassing story with you, just to level the playing field. Like, we're, we're all family here, but this is a little embarrassing story to share, but I think it's helpful. In college, I was in a relationship And for various reasons, I was contemplating ending that relationship. But as a Christian at that time, an immature Christian, I was very immature in some ways, Um, I I wanted to know if it was God's will for me to end this relationship with this young lady. And so I I spent a lot of time, it felt like looking back, or during the time it felt like several days, but it was probably only like, one or two days of like just intense prayer and praying constantly throughout my day, and I just remember driving around and praying. God, should, should I end this relationship? Should I do this? And I was praying a lot and this other thing. So I, I was still praying. And I didn't have an answer, and I didn't know what to do. And so <laughs> one time I was in my apartment, and so I had a, a water bottle of water on the coffee table in front of me, and I was going to take a nap. And so I prayed. And I said, "Lord, if you want me to end this relationship." When I wake up from this nap, this bottle will be in a different position or a different place on the coffee table. I took a nap, woke up, and the water bottle was in the same position <laughs> as when I went to sleep. wasn't very helpful because that wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so fast forward, spoiler alert, I did in the relationship. Um, but by God's sovereign will, that was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Because if I, if I did not do that, I would not have met the love of my life, Francie. So it was, it, was for the, it was for the good. But as childish and silly as that story sounds, I think we face many crossroads and decisions that we have to make often. From the bigger questions of life, such as who should I marry? Where do I go to college? Should I be a, mission? should I be a missionary? Should I accept this job? Should we uproot and move our family here? Even to the smaller questions of life, should we buy this? Where should we vacation? How should we budget? And so forth. There are, we make decisions often, often in our lives. So, the question that's often posed is, you know, what is God's will for me? I have a decision to make, and what is God's will? Well, I want to do what God wants me to do. If I can know His will, oh, that would make my life so much easier, right? I think we all can relate to that. Now, these are all relevant questions, and oftentimes we just want to know what's God's will. If I know it, I would do it. So, in order to address this concern, we're going to answer that question, essentially, and how that p- plays out in practical life. But I want to start with answering the question exactly, what is God's will? What is God's will? It's a, that's a fair question, fair starting point. Many theologians have rightly categorized God's will into two broad terms. God's decretive will, which is one, and God's preceptive will, which is the second. God's decretive will, God's preceptive will. We'll start with God's decree of will. God's decree of will is what he has decreed in eternity past. This is what he alone has decided and he has decreed. This is something that we don't know. Sometimes some people refer to it as his hidden will, that this is what we don't know. It's his secret will, others have referred to it as his decree of will, his hidden will, his secret will. And within this decree of will, it encompasses two aspects God's sovereignty and his providence. God's pro- sovereignty and his providence. God's sovereignty is what we know well, I believe, but this is God's absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure, as one person would define his sovereignty. His absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. Now, God alone is the the creator and sustainer. He does whatever he wants. We know that. God is sovereign. He does whatever he wants, right? 1 Timothy 6.15. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the only one. Psalm 115 verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. God does whatever he wants. He's sovereign. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God does whatever he wants. Anything that happens, it's because he's ordained it. He's decreed it. This is his of will, his secret will. Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty nine. the secret things belong to God, right? This is all God. His providence as well, which is encompassed in his decretive will, his providence speaks to more God's foresight. This is God not only sovereignly ordaining all things, but it's also his preserving and governing all things by means of secondary causes. So God's sovereignty, he's doing all things, but God's providence is he's, he's not only forcing all things, but he's also or orchestrating all things according to his own will through secondary causes, people, events, actions. It's not God directly intervening, so to speak, but his providence is everything that happens, he orchestrates and governs it through secondary causes, people. This is the use of his own secondary causes for his own intended end. There are many examples of God's providence in scripture, but I think one obvious one, one big one for us is the story of Esther, even the book of Esther, right? God is not mentioned once in Esther, but yet who's the main character in Esther? God. Right? He's working all things out. He's, he's from the preservation of the Jews from the very beginning to the end, from putting Esther in, in, in position and Mordecai in key places. God is orchestrating. He is providentially moving all things out to his intended purpose, preserving his people, even in the midst of their, of their rebellion. God is preserving them. the that's, that's, that story is full of God's providence. So in his decretive will, he works sovereignly and he also works providentially. So we need to know that no one is ever outside of God's decreed plan. No one ever is outside of God's decreed plan. If it happened, he decreed it, period. We're never outside of it. So whatever happens is by his own sovereignty and providence. He's decreed it and it's his will, period. It's said and done. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 37 says that who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? God decrees all things. Whether anything that happens, good or bad, he's decreed it. This is his decree of will. This is the one aspect that we're talking about right now. So that's God's will it involves his decreative will. Now, here's the second aspect of his will, his preceptive will. This is his revealed word. Of, this is the revealed word of God in the Bible, essentially. His preceptive will, which is if you... Break down the word "preceptive." It's precepts, his teachings. This is his preceptive will, what he has revealed and written down in Scripture. This we do know. We don't know God's decretive will. We know his preceptive will because if he's written it, if he's precepted it for us, so to speak, then we we know it. He's revealed it to us. Right? It's his revealed word. It's not hidden. It's the revealed word of God, and it involves his precepts. This is not mysticism. It's not subjective feelings in terms of um, what I feel or what I think. What I think God is telling me, but these are biblical principles which are revealed in Scripture. For the purpose of our discussion, essentially, what is not directly addressed in Scripture concerning a specific decision is covered by broader theological concepts. So, in its preceptive will, if something's not specifically stated in Scripture, for example, it does not say in Scripture, "Go to Harvard University if you can." That's not in Scripture but in terms of making decisions such as going to college, broader theological concepts can give us precepts and understandings of how to make that decision. And that's all his under his preceptive will. It also involves wisdom. So what is not covered in the clear and right, right and wrong categories, it, it can be made through biblical discernment and through prudence. So God's decretive will, right? But also God's preceptive will is what he's revealed in scripture to practice and to act out. So why does this even matter? Why are we talking about that? God is sovereign, and no decision that we make is outside of the realm of his sovereignty sovereignty. We've already established that. But yet, we can still make decisions which we are still held accountable for. God is sovereign, but yet we can still make decisions and we are fully held accountable for those decisions. So you can be outside of God's preceptive will, whatever he's given us in scripture. In which you make a decision and you're completely disobedient, so to, so to speak, for, to His precepts, and yet you're still in the realm of His of will. So let me explain that because it's a little confusing. I have a diagram here, but hopefully my hands are sufficient. So God's of will, what He's decreed, we think of like a Venn diagram. There's two circles. God's decreetive will. If it's happened, if He's if it's happened, He's decreed it. His preceptive will of whatever he's preceptive, what he's taught us, whatever's in Scripture, that's there. We can make a decision, and if it happens, God decreed it. But we can still make a decision that's outside of his preceptive will, outside of the principles in Scripture. And that doesn't mean, just because God decreed it because it happened, doesn't mean it's a good decision you should have made. Does that make sense? That just because he's ordained it and and it's happened he decreed it, doesn't mean it's within the realm of his preceptive will. So what we want to be as Christians is... If you think of the Venn diagram again, we want to be where those two circles overlap, right? Where obviously if it's happened, he's decreed it, but also he's decreed it, but it's also within the realm of his preceptive will. I'm making a decision that happens because God decreed it, but also a decision that is based in his preceptive will in his word. That's where we want to be as Christians. So if we're making a decision, if I'm making any sort of decision, no matter how small, how big, I want to be within the realm of God's preceptive will. And if it comes to pass, obviously he's decreed it. But we're not going to worry about his decreed will. We can't. But we want to be within his revealed will, how he's revealed it to us to live. Because this is true, I'll give examples later. Because this is true, this is what we can know as we make decisions of life. Um, Here's some presuppositions that I think are helpful, that, that we need to know. We do not need to know God's decretive will. We don't have to know it. Like this is, It's a secret will. It's called his hidden decretive secret will for a reason. We don't need to know that. But he is providentially bringing out everything in our lives for his own purpose. So whatever happens, whatever it does happen, no matter the decision we make, it's already settled in eternity past, period. But yet God, again, holds you fully responsible to search out and to follow his preceptive will in all of life. So I'll say that again. Even though God is, is sovereign... God still holds us fully responsible to search out and to follow his preceptive will in all of life. You're still responsible. Another good thing in that is that the Holy Spirit's role is to convict and to teach and to conform us all through the vehicle of his word. Which is helpful because we're responsible for these decisions, but God did not leave us without a, com- without a comforter. His spirit, which he, he says will remind us of all truth. And God, Jesus himself said that, that we're going to be sanctified By truth, which is his word. So God uses his word through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to give us understanding and enlightenment in his word. So we're not alone in this. So if we make a decision based on biblical commands and principles alone, then we can fully trust that we are pleasing God in our decision and fully trust that he will providentially either change our choice if it is not within his decreed will. Did you catch that? That if we make a decision based on biblical principles alone, we can trust that we are acting in pleasing to our God and He will providentially change our decision if it's outside of His decreed will. So we want to be anchored into His truth, to His precepts. Another implication of this is that every believer now needs pastoral oversight or pastoral insight. And also the body of Christ to help make decisions. Proverbs is full of Proverbs that, that that explain that we we need counsel. There's there's wisdom in many counselors, that we're not designed to live life alone, but we need wisdom from other godly people to help. And so that's, that's very clear in the book of Proverbs. So we need pastor oversight, we need the body of Christ, other believers. To help us to stay true to God's word. How does God's word teach me how to respond or behave in this situation? How does God's word apply to this scenario I'm facing? And how do I do that? So, so far I think we know is that God guides or leads his people today by providence and by scripture. By providence and by scripture. As believers we rest, we know that no matter what happens, that God is orchestrating all things for our good. That's a good hope for us. That no matter, in everything... Whether it happens to our life, whatever is brought to our plate, plate, whatever we do, that God is working all things for his good, for his glory. This one quote by J.C. Ryle in his book, Walking with God, speaking kind of to this very idea, I'm going to read you his quote that he says in his book. He says, the Bible must be our standard. Whenever we are confronted with a question about Christian practice, we must apply the teaching of the Bible, Sometimes the Bible will deal with it directly, and we must go by its direct teaching. Often the Bible will not deal with it directly, and then we must look for general principles to guide us. It does not matter what other people think. Their behavior is not a standard for us, but the Bible is a standard for us, and it is by the Bible that we must live. So if that's what we know in terms of what is God's will, the next question is how do we accurately interpret God's will? revealed will how do we accurately interpret God's revealed will well to rightly interpret it and apply it we must first have a prayerful a literal a historical contextual and grammatical method of studying it that's a mouthful right we must have a prayerful a literal meaning take it as it is if there's if there's a if there's a metaphor in there we we understand that metaphor Literally, right? So Jesus uses metaphors all the time. And I don't excuse the fact that there are metaphors in Scripture. I understand that metaphor literally. So I'm not going to say that even though he, say, he, he says uproot a tree, I'm not, that's not exactly literally what he's saying. He's using that teaching for a broader concept. I can still apply this principle in understanding what Jesus is saying. I must use a prayerful. I'm dependent on the Spirit. A literal, historical. I take into, into, into account the history of the time, the background of that time, the people of that time. A contextual, I'm keeping in in mind the context of the passage I'm reading. A grammatical, the syntax, the the words he uses, the, the structure of the sentences. I'm taking all this into account in order to study the word of God so that I can rightly understand it and therefore rightly apply it. So, we need to have that, that correct understanding. 2 Timothy 2.15 right? reminds the man of God to rightly handle the word of God, to rightly divide it, to, to, to cut it. You want to have a right understanding of it so you can rightly interpret it and then rightly apply it. For instance, similar to my silly water bottle illustration I used. Do you know, anyone know what story I was thinking of in the back of my mind when I, the reason why I came up with that random request of God to move a water bottle <laughs> before I took a nap? Gideon's fleece, right? I mean, I heard that a lot of times growing up. Gideon's fleece. You need to lay out your Gideon fleece. I've heard that many times in Christian circles. Lay out your Gideon fleece and see what God does. I was thinking I'm trying to be somewhat biblical, right? But that's not the right understanding of that passage. I mean, we know that in Gideon, Judges chapter 6, Gideon laying out his fleece was really a lack of faith. That's, it's a lack of faith. God already told him what to do. If God already said it, it's settled. Do it. He he lacked faith. And so, okay, God, if that's the case, let me do this. Again, wrong understanding of my wrong application of Scripture. We can do that all the time in making a decision, and therefore we wrongly apply because we wrongly interpret. So we want to make sure we have a literal, historical, grammatical method of studying Scripture before we do that. We need a right hermeneutic to rightly apply. Some other methods I think to be cautious of in the the realm of this this discussion of making a decision, there are many methods that Christians use and I've heard used and even myself at some point that we need to be cautious of when we're thinking about how do I make a decision? How do I make a good decision that honors God? There's some methods that I think we really need to be cautious of. One is obviously misusing the Bible, as I already (laughs) alluded and exemplified for you. Also, personal advice. I think sometimes we rely too heavily just on mere personal advice that is independent of any sound teaching of, or any biblical teaching. Don't get me wrong. Wisdom is wisdom, but that's distinct from just personal advice. I'm just going to go to anybody. I mean, think about sometimes even for, for married couples, husband and wives have to make a decision. Sometimes they're very influenced by in-laws. In-laws who are biased. and are not seeking to give legitimate biblical advice, but they're just tied to people. Another thing you need to be cautious of is opened and closed doors. That's a phrase that's used oftentimes, you know, if God opens the door, if God closes the door, then I'll do that. And really the thinking behind that is is I'm just going to live passively and if God allows it, I'm going to walk through it. There's no evaluation of is this a wise thing. There's no evaluation of of the details. Um, If God closes it or opens it, and it's really just about really, not really about if God opens and closes, it's just if it happens, I'm just going to walk through it, Right? ideas we have, inner feelings, desires, impressions. Be cautious of that. We can't rely upon these things. Um, The Bible says our heart is not a reliable source. Our heart can be very deceived. Christians can be very deceived. Our feelings can be very deceiving. Sometimes an audible voice, in some circles, an audible voice we look for in making a decision. Misusing prayer. I've even terminology such as inner peace. I don't have a peace about this, so I'm not going to hold off. There's some wisdom in that, but relying just on inner peace is really just subtly sometimes just relying upon my emotions, my inner feelings. I don't feel right about it, so I'm not going to do it. There's some cases where that's legitimate, but really just seeking for an inner peace. Again, our hearts are deceptive and deceitful. If we're not evaluating this with biblical principles and we're just relying upon subjective peace, We're going to end up making some wrong decisions sometimes. And we're going to do things just because I think I have inner peace about it, but I really haven't done anything else about making this decision. So we just have to be cautious of that. Looking for signs. Moving a water bottle. It's a foolish sign. Dreams. I had a dream, so therefore I think maybe, I keep having dreams about this, I think God is telling me something. I'm not saying God is sovereign. He can move however he wants. But I'm saying to be cautious of these things if that's what we're relying upon for every single thing. Waiting on the Lord is, is sometimes we've, we've said in circles. Waiting on the Lord. Now, I think oftentimes what that really means is that if God does it or if it happens, then I'm going to do it. But I'm really not going to do anything proactively in terms of praying or seeking out wisdom or counsel. I'm not going to research the facts. I'm just going to wait on the Lord, which really means I'm just going to see if, if I get a phone call, okay, great, I'm going to do it, right? So waiting on the Lord just, is just very passive, and it's not active in, in actually addressing the decision that has to be made. Our conscience needs to be informed because sometimes we can have a misinformed conscience. We see that in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians. Our conscience can be misinformed. Reason, human reason, don't get me wrong, reason, God gave us the the capacity to reason. That's a good thing that God gave us. But human reason alone is dangerous. Be cautious. Faith sometimes is is used. I'm just going to have faith. And it's really not really biblical faith, but it's just crossing my fingers and just we'll see what happens that kind of faith right and the call sometimes I I feel the call so it's just this purely subjective feeling again I think you get the idea but sometimes we can make decisions just, just really relying upon subjective feelings really relying upon our own emotions our thoughts and just wrong things that I think can guide us astray sometimes and sometimes we reap the fruit of that unless God providentially is gracious enough to steer us in the right direction So here's some prerequisites for biblical decision-making. Here's some prerequisites for biblical decision-making. Number one is you need to be rightly related to Christ. You need to be rightly related to Christ. Predominantly, you need to be a believer. Be a believer in Christ. You have to be saved. You have to, to realize that you are a Christian, and a Christian is someone who has turned from their sin. They have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they've realized their sin, and they have turned to Christ as their only Savior who has saved them. You have to be a believer in Christ, in this one, through faith and repentance. That is that essentially what a Christian is. And so if you're expecting to make a good decision through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the ministry of this word, we have to have a right relationship with this God, which starts in his son. That's obvious for us. I'm preaching to the choir. Be re- rightly related to Christ. The second prerequisite is you need to be pursuing a life of worshiping God. Making hard decisions should not be the only time our prayer in life increases. That our life should be a life of worship, which is constantly at the throne of God. Think about it. This is, this is logical. A worshiper's life will consequently conform to the object of their worship. A worshiper's life will consequently conform to the object of their worship. If they're worshiping God, consequent, the consequent results of that are to conform to the likeness of the God they're worshiping. Amen? So we want to be those who are worshiping and pursuing a life of worship. You can tell what someone is obsessed with by where they spend their time, how they see to choose their how to, how they spend their money, their resources, their all that. I mean, you can tell what someone's really obsessed with if you evaluate their calendar, their bank account, their schedule, their meetings, their all these things. You can tell really what someone is obsessed with. Your worship drives your behavior. So to be pursuing a life of worship, this is important this discussion because Making decisions, which happens so often, is if someone is worshiping God in the word of God, praying in the word of God, influenced by the word of God, by the spirit of God, it sets a natural result for the word to be impressed upon their heart that they can speak in a situation so immediately because the word is so in them right? They may, I, your word I've hidden in my heart so that I would not sin against you. If your word is hidden in the heart, I can instantly make a decision because I know, oh, you know what? I, I know this is probably be selfish. I'm not thinking of my neighbor here. I, I think this would be the right thing to do for at least right now. So worship, a life of worship, is so essential and a prerequisite because it's not just about the decision that's at, at hand, but it really is about the life of the individual. A third prerequisite is to recognize God's, recognize God's sovereignty overall. Recognize God's sovereignty over all. Proverbs 16, verse 9, that the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. James chapter 4, verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It's important for us to recognize God's sovereignty overall in decision-making. We realize I can apply biblical principles. I can do all the best I can in terms of searching out the best course of action. But I realize that I need to be humble in this process. And if there is an upset, if there is a change in any way, I realize God is sovereign. If there is a change that even I don't like... I realize God is providentially working for, for my good, for his glory. So it's important to recognize God's sovereignty because we realize in our humility, if God decides to make a, ch- a change of course, a change of action, I realize he's sovereign. And no matter what happens, I'm at peace. It's important. If, if we lose sight of God's sovereignty in decision-making, We're going to be frustrated quite easily because we realize God has called me to be responsible in making decisions. God has called me to be a responsible person to evaluate this. And yet I realize God in his love and his grace will guide me in the right direction because he understands my heart of humility and my heart to desire to honor him in this decision I must make. So if we embrace these as true, we're off to a great start. We're off to a great start. If these are our prerequisites, we're off to a great start. So now I want to kind of move to this, take take a little turn here, is how do we now rightly walk in God's revealed will? How do we rightly walk in God's revealed will? How do we kind of start to put this into practice? Let's begin to put legs on this animal, so to speak. How do I walk in his revealed will? Some basic tools that are helpful in this process or maybe even necessary in this process is one is that Scripture has bearing on all decisions one way or another. Scripture has bearing on all decisions, one way or another. Even if it's just regarding the direction or our motives, our behavior, even if it's not the decision itself, but scripture speaks to either our motives sometimes, my, my desires. It may not speak to the decision I have to make, but it may speak to the motive that I have for making that decision. If you want to move purely, say for example, uh in L.A., a lot of people were moving. When I, I came from L.A., we came from L.A., and a lot of people were moving out because – and sometimes I was talking to some of my friends, um, and they were moving because either they hated the political climate or they wanted a bigger house because obviously it's L.A. and it's expensive. <laughs> um, and so the, either they wanted to move out the political climate or they wanted a bigger house. Now, I'm not saying those are wrong reasons at all to move or to uproot a family. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. Hear that. But what I am saying is questionable and needs to be addressed is if that is your desire, if that's your prime motivation for moving in order to escape a pre- political oppression or to get a bigger house, if that is the prime motive of your decision, then we need to wonder, are there some idolatrous desires under that decision? So scripture doesn't speak to move move out of California or move out of L.A., but Scripture does speak to the desires of your heart. So even the principle may not, or the decision may not be addressed, but motives, desires, all those things are addressed in Scripture. A second tool for us is wisdom, which my own definition of wisdom is just biblical teaching and practice. The teaching, how do I systemize it and put it into practice? How do I do this? A third tool is purposeful freedom purposeful freedom we haven't really touched on this yet but this is important in this in this discussion purposeful freedom okay listen believer in Christ Christ has set you free you're free you're free to do what you want you are free to live out your freedom you are free in Christ so how do you exercise that freedom how do I exercise that freedom listen here scripture calls us as believers to use our freedom not for our own fleshly desires, but oftentimes for the sake of others. In all the context of Scripture, hear me, Christian freedom is a huge deal. Christ set us free. We're not bound by the law. We are free in Christ. And oftentimes, Scripture calls us to use our freedom to the benefit of God, or to the glory of God, and to the benefit of others. That's Oftentimes the primary use and the primary context of our Christian freedom making decisions. So that obviously influences a lot of how we make a decision. Examples, well I'll start with Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 and following when Jesus is talking about the, the two most commandments which we know are to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself highlighted the primacy of these two commands. To love God, love your neighbor. That's important. So, if, if, if that is what's most important that Jesus highlights and commands, I think that should be very important to us in making a decision. Am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor through this? Sometimes there aren't implications for that, but oftentimes there are. Am I loving God? Am I loving my neighbor? Philippians chapter 2, it's talking when talking about the emptying of Christ. Such a, a great example, a great model of humility, which needs to be full for every Christian, but a great amount of humility, even for us in making decisions, that it says that obviously we should not we should consider others as more significant than ourselves. Philippians chapter two says, Do nothing from selfish from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. And he goes on to say, have the same attitude that was in Christ, that he laid laid down his own life, that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ is our great example. So do, do nothing at all out of selfishness or conceit. Nothing. There's no room. So obviously the implication, which we'll get to, is that any decision that is rank with selfishness or conceit is probably a decision as a Christian shouldn't make. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and also chapter 10, verse 23. I won't go to it now, but it speaks of Christian freedom again. When Paul is talking to the freedom to the Corinthian church about their freedom. That you're free, essentially you're free to do whatever you want, but not everything you can do is profitable, right? Just because you're free doesn't mean it's profitable. Don't be enslaved to anything. There, there are many different principles Paul gives for them, is that in your freedom, don't be enslaved to something. If something will keep you enslaved and you're, you're wondering, hey, I, I'm free to go to the bar. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm in Christ. I'm not going to get drunk, but I am free in Christ to have a drink. Maybe that's what someone's rationale would be. But if you're prone to be enslaved to that activity you're doing in the name of Christian freedom, is that a wise decision for you to make? Again, I'm not making a full black and white assessment for anybody. These are things that the Christian needs to be rightly thinking about in decision making. Am, Am I setting myself for enslavement? Is this profitable for me? Is this a good testimony for me? Will this glorify God? Will this love my neighbor? these are things to think about another great example of christian freedom galatians chapter 5 verse 13 he says for you are called to freedom brethren only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another again paul is emphasizing you're called to freedom but don't use that freedom for an opportunity to flesh. In other words, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to live out your own fleshly, selfish, sinful desires. Use it to love and to serve one another. The primary, one of the primary ways for us to exercise our Christian freedom is to use our freedom in love and consideration for others. For example, I may be free to do this certain activity, but out of love for my neighbor, I'm going to consider them as more important right now. And I'm not going to exercise my freedom. That's me being free not to do that. Another tool is desire. Let's be real. I I did speak about desires and relying upon our desires, but God uses and gives us desires. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, the one we know well as well, that that delight yourself in the Lord, and then what? Give you the desires of your heart. Desires are important. But notice in that that one verse, obviously, is God gives you the desires of your heart because you're delighting where? In God. Goes back to worship again. As we delight in God, as we relish in his word, as we take in his word, he gives us the desires of our heart. Why? Because my desires are his desires. I want to do what he likes, what he loves. I'm delighting in God so that my desires that I have, I have a desire to make this decision, and this desire is flowing out of love of God, which is flowing out through me, and I'm going to make that right decision. So his will becomes our will. His desires become our desires. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, speaking of sanctification, the context of that passage is speaking to our sanctification as saints, is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who's working in you to do what? To will and to work for his good pleasure, to, 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 so we can do and want to do the good things that we ought to do for his good pleasure, that God works through our desires to do what we ought to do that brings him glory. God does work through our desires, even our wishes, in First Corinthians chapter seven and chapter ten paul's speaking about his decision, his, about the, the wishes or desires of, of Christians. He says in one, one, one passage, if, if an unbeliever invites you to, to food, invites you over for dinner, and you want to go, then go. And don't, don't question where the meat's come from. Don't question if it's come from idols. But if you want to go, go. Th- th- these are legitimate desires, legitimate wishes. If, if your husband dies, he tells the widow, and you wish to remarry again, remarry again. But just do it in Lord. It's grounded in precept. So desires are not completely out of the discussion, but our desires ought to be intertwined with God's, with our delighting in God. So desire is not innately sinful. Rather, our desires should be informed in truth. So we've covered a lot of ground already. Hope you're still sticking with me. But now I kind of want to go this last leg in terms of the process. So kind of let's, let's put this now in more into practice. What is the process now of making a decision? Now, You don't have to necessarily write down everything I'm going to say now going out forward, but I put kind of a simple checklist together, and I put it here in the table in front of me, so if you're interested in taking it, you can take it with you. It's a practical checklist of making a decision, maybe go from step one to step two. This kind of, it's meant to use as as a basic guide, kind of a a tool for you in making a decision. You can go through these steps. I think they're very helpful and very biblical. A lot of this is compiled from the, the notes I took with Dr. John Street. So I have to give him credit, <laughs> is that these, a lot of this and the, the notes there as well, com- a lot of it compiled from Dr. John Street from my notes I took with him in his, one of his classes on counseling. And it's just so rich, and I think it'll be helpful, especially that list there, if you are interested afterwards. But that's what I'm going to go through now in terms of these practical steps, and I'll kind of expand on some of the things here, just because I think it'll be helpful. So, are you going to pass? It? Okay. So all these these steps here they're a little bit interrelated they're a little bit interrelated but they're all helpful. The first one there is to continually have a humble, yielded and dependent will before God. Continually have a humble, yielded and dependent will before God. That is important. I, I already touched on that so far. But we need to continually have a dependent, humble attitude toward God in this decision making. I have to realize that at the end of the day, I'm not God, I'm not sovereign, and I can seek to implement all these good principles, and I can realize God, who's seeing things ahead, can change things. And so I want to be constantly humble, constantly yielded to His will before Him, realizing that He's sovereign. That, that Romans chapter 12, is it, I think it lists there, is that I'm called to be a living sacrifice, that I'm called to be transformed by Him. And so I realize that as a living sacrifice, at the end, end of the day, my life is his, and he can do whatever he wants with me. So even if I choose to do something and it just doesn't work out, I realize God is sovereign. I'm still at peace. Second is to continually pray for wisdom. That's very practical. This is a spiritual endeavor that if I desire to walk and to live in God's preceptive will, I realize it's a spiritual endeavor I'm called to do. And James chapter 1 verse 5 calls us, if you lack wisdom, which we often do, Pray. And ask, and will he not abundantly give it to us? A great promise for us. If I need wisdom, Lord, I need your wisdom. Pray and ask. So pray and ask. A third point, third step there, this is important, is to gather all the factual data. Gather all the factual data. It lists there Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. I use this verse a lot of times in the context of just counseling. Because if you're counseling someone, or if you're, you want to give someone advice, the worst kind of advice comes from someone who's not even hearing the problem. <laughs> Have you ever gotten advice from someone and you said, oh, yeah, I, I've been there before. This is what you need to do, especially with, like, parenting. We, we love giving parenting advice. Let's be, we, we love giving parenting advice. We've been there. We've walked through that. But oftentimes we, we're so quick to give advice without actually hearing what's going on. That's the worst kind of advice because you don't know what's going on. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says that he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So even just in the context of just counseling and talking to people, if you try to give an answer before listening, the Bible calls you a fool. <laughs> because you haven't even listened to what the issue is. How can you speak truth without knowing the facts? So if you're making a decision, if you want to make a decision, the best thing you could do is gather all the factual data. In other words, listen. Right? So, so what, what all is you doing? So going back to say, I guess I've used a lot already this evening, choosing where to go for college. I want to know. For example, actually, one of my college kids at the last church, he was making that very decision. He wanted to know where to go to college. He wanted to go to a Christian college, and that's all he really knew. And so he was looking at some Christian colleges, but these, I, I, these colleges he was looking at, I, I told him, I gave him this advice. I actually went through this with him. I gave him this advice. He said, If you're looking to go to a Christian college, and that's all you have, you're not concerned about major, you're not concerned about what's your, what your career because you don't know yet. Then if that's your primary motive, which is a good motive, is you want to make sure the Christian college you go to is actually a solid Christian school, right? That makes sense. So part of gathering all the factual data is what do they teach? What, what, what are their fundamentals that they, they teach? What, what, what kind of Christian school? There's many Christian schools and many that I wouldn't recommend. What is their philosophy? What kind of professors do they hire? What is the curriculum they have? What is their view on, on scripture? How, is it sufficient or is, it, is psychology integrated? There, there are many questions. I give him a whole list of things to think about. As, you're, as he's searching out these things, making a wise decision, you need to gather all the factual data. If I'm moving to a new area, this one old family from our old church, they're leaving our church, our old church, and they're moving somewhere up north, I think it was. And one of the things they did before even moving was that they searched the area where they wanted to move and they wanted to make sure there's a solid church in that area so that they could actually be near that church. That was one of their primary motives. So they were looking for what is, what is in this area? What, what other churches are in the area? Are these solid churches? Um, this is all part of gathering data. You're gathering information. You're listening. If you want to make any good decision, you have to know the facts. You have to know everything everything that you can know you want to milk it so you know everything you want to know if we're going to buy something what are what is our budget like can i afford this what happens if we have an emergency is that going to take us out what happens if if we end up buying this and we want to return it can we even return it are we out of luck i mean there's all sorts of things to think about gathering data you have to do that that is so important i can't stress that enough so if making a decision you have to have all the facts because if you have the facts then you can rightly respond and realize, okay, this is something that I think we can do, um, and so forth. But that's just one step. Then you want to study any direct commands in Scripture concerning this particular issue. Study any, any any direct commands in Scripture concerning this particular issue. So, dating—it's a big one, especially with the younger people. Who, should I date this person? Direct commands in Scripture—some some basic commands, right? Are Are they a believer? (laughs) Are are, are they a believer? Are they walking in the spirit? Have they demonstrated that already in their life now? Or are they going to step up now that they're dating you? Right? I mean, these are just practical things to think about. These are some direct commands in scripture. Is this person in Christ? Am I going to be unequally yoked? Make use of the Bible. Um, Use a a concordance. A topical Bible. But be careful with topical Bibles. Um, And other biblical reference books. Use all that to understand what does the Bible directly say about dating? What does it directly say about education? What does it directly say about moving? What, what, what is anything that speaks to directly in any facet of the decision I have to make? Then also, after that is you have to study, if, if that doesn't apply, or maybe if it does, but study any indirect principles, any indirect principles or statements in Scripture concerning that issue. So again, dating May not be exp- you. you maybe you cross those. You check those boxes, but maybe dating is still you still have trouble in terms of making a decision. There may be some sort of issues in terms of desires of dating, like why you want to date now. W- I mean, that may be a legitimate reason. I mean, I'm not questioning that. But maybe is this is this an idolatrous desire? Or have you never been able to be single and be content? There's some, maybe some other things to think about, which again, wisdom comes in with the wisdom of other people to help make these decisions. But any indirect principles, for, so even. As I said, say buying something, making a large purchase of something, it may not speak directly to that issue, but there are other issues to consider in terms of am I going to sacrifice giving here Am I, is, is it going to sacrifice my giving toward this missionary is it going to sacrifice my, my, my family in this realm is, or is it going to sac- have an impact on my college my kids college tuition i don't know there's all these things there's a plethora of things to think about are there any indirect things or any indirect principles i need to think about concerning this issue if it doesn't speak directly to it the next step there is weigh the purposeful use of freedom Weigh the purposeful use of freedom. So, maybe you've checked those boxes so far. I've studied, I've gathered all the data. I'm, 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 humble. I'm, I'm, I'm humble, I'm yielding to the Lord's will. I, I've studied the scriptures, indirect commands, indirect commands. I, I've gathered all the data I can. And, and now I want to weigh the purposeful use of freedom. I'm free in Christ, so I want to realize, am I exercising my freedom in a good, godly way? So, how do I know that? So, there's some questions there listed under that point for you. But there's some, some things to ask is, is, this, is there anything wrong with this activity? Is there anything wrong with this activity? Is it lawful for me? It's 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but like I said, not everything is profitable. Just because it's lawful, is is it it helpful? Is it profitable for me? Is it going to really build me up? Is this good for me? Is it self-serving at the expense of someone else? I I can do something, but is this going to impact many other people and just only benefit me? That's a serious thing to think about. If I'm the only one benefiting from this decision I make and there are going to be multiple people impacted by that decision, that's something to think about. Again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make that decision just because people will be negatively impacted. But if the motive is self-serving, are you exercising your freedom for fleshly desires? That's a question you have to ask as you're thinking about your lo- weighing your purposeful freedom. Is it self-serving? Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 2 speaks on this, is that now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Again, that's in the context of Christian freedom there. Another thing to think about as we're weighing purposeful freedom is, is this something I can thank God for? Is this something I can thank God for? That's a good question to ask. Is, is this something at the end of the day that if I'm going to make this decision, this is something I can genuinely, with a clean conscience, thank God for? Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. At the end of the day, if I make this decision, is this something I can thank God for? Is this something that will glorify God? Right? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do the glory of God. Is this something that will glorify God? Or is this really ultimately something that is about my own desires, my own will, my own purposes for my own glory? Is this really something that will bring glory to God? For example, I was contemplating giving this illustration. For example, going back to the house, right? Again, I don't want to Put rain clouds over any ideas, but these are just things to think about. For example, going back to my friend moving to a bigger house—again, that's not necessarily a sinful desire. I've had actually people who wanted to have a house that is more hospitable for hosting guests because they wanted to use it as a ministry home. They wanted—I mean, that was their desire. That's not a bad desire. They're weighing those things. Sure, they'd like more space for their family, but they'd also be able to—they want to be able to host more. They want to be able to host other people who come into town, other missionaries at their church. There was very intense, intentional thinking behind the purchase. It was a big decision, but you, think, you see how they're thinking through those things. Again, there's no right or wrong answer per se, I'm saying it right now. But these are things to be thinking about as Christians as we're weighing out what I should do, whether yes or no or, or buy this or don't buy this. These are things to think about. Another thing is, is it worth imitating? If someone were to see me do this and make this decision, is this something worth imitating? Think about how Paul often says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Is this someone that someone could, I wouldn't mind if someone made the same decision I made, <laughs> am i okay with that is this following the example of christ will this choice affect others around me i think i touched on that already but is others going to be impacted by it and if so what is that impact not necessarily saying just because there is impact but just what is an impact another thing is it beneficial does it promote my spiritual life Is it a practice that over time will will tend to master me? If I know I'm prone to exercise something in Christian freedom, but I'm also prone to be mastered by this, this is something that I really want to consider and think this is probably not a good decision for me to do if I'm going to be mastered by it. Will it stimulate a desire that will be difficult to control? I mean, you think about these are, these are things in, in, in movies, for example, and people exercising Christian freedom. Are there things in this movie that I already know how? I looked at the ratings. I looked at why it's rated what it's rated. I, I realize I'm, I have Christian freedom here, but if the things that are listed there, are those going to cause sinful desires to be stimulated within me? Am I going to be stumbled by some of the things in this, in this movie? These are things to think about as I exercise my freedom. Am I going to be bound by something I see in this movie? That's just one example. Is it constructive? Will it promote the spiritual well-being of other believers if they engage in the practice that is permissible for me? Ultimately, you want to affirm that your desires are God-honoring. Affirm that your desires are God-honoring. Again, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you desires of your heart. So what is it that you want to do? Will it bring glory to God? Is this an occasion where my flesh is seeking to indulge itself? So will this bring glory for God, glory to God? Next step there is to seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. A lot of times, as I mentioned, Proverbs is just full of just seeking wise counsel from other wise people. There, there's, for example, Proverbs 15, chapter 22. That without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. One practical resource for believers is wise counsel. That having many, many wise counselors to, to speak into the situation. I'm not saying they have to give you the, the right answer or give you, force you to do what they say, but it'd be foolish to make even like big, bigger decisions and not seek input from other wise people of, of what do you think about this? Do you think that's a wise decision? Well, I just want your input to gain data. That's, again, that's more listening, right? That's gaining more factual data. It's to gain wise counsel. Now, at the end there, it says, you've done all this, I'm making a decision, I've done all this, by that point... You've weighed your purposeful freedom. You've done all these things. You've went through the steps. By that point, I think you should have a good, good grasp on the matter. You've realized I've, I've, I know what Scripture has to say about this. I've weighed my own heart. I've weighed my purposeful freedom. I, I, I've, I've talked to wise people, and you know what? I, I still think this is a good desire that I want to do. I'm going to make this decision. This is a big decision. I'm going to do this. I have freedom in Christ, and I, I've went to His Word. I've went to wise counselors. I've weighed this freedom, and you know what? I want to do this, and I think we're going to do this. We've prayed about this. We've been humble about this. We're going, to, we're going to do this. And if something happens and those plans are frustrated, well, you know what? God is sovereign. Back to step one, right? But that, that that should equip you to at least make a good decision at that point. That These are biblical principles that should equip us to make a good decision by that point with all of that, assuming those steps have been taken. Again, a lot of times, if it's a smaller decision, and, and how well you know this, this can happen it doesn't have to be a long process. Sometimes with bigger decisions, obviously you want to make time. But sometimes with this is ingrained, you realize instinctively, yeah, this is not always going to take several, several days, weeks, months. But sometimes it could be a quicker decision. If it's a smaller decision, you may not have to seek wise counsel on should we go to Burger King or McDonald's. That doesn't need a wise counsel, right? I think you get the idea. But if you've done all this, you went through all those steps, and you know, what? I'm still at a crossroads. I don't know what to do. Then there's one thing is if your conscience is binding you one way or the other don't violate your conscience. If you feel that doing this or not doing that is going to be a sin, don't do it. The Bible says if to go against conscience to go against conscience is sin. If your conscience is binding you, don't do it or if it's one way or the other, right? So that, that's, that's very simple. But at the same time, you still want to inform your conscience because you, you could have a misinformed conscience that needs to be informed with truth, with scripture. So you still want to inform your conscience. But at that point, if at that point, you can just don't violate your conscience. But if it's not a conscience issue at that point, is you still can't decide, gather more data, and start over. Gather more data and start over. Maybe there's some other rocks that need to be unturned. Get more information. Get more help. Get more counsel. Go and get get more factual data and start over again. But I I think that's going to be the rare case. But I think this is a practical starting point for us to make good biblical decisions. That we realize Christian freedom and we want to exercise our Christian freedom well to the glory of God. We know we want to be, we, we're going to be in God's decretive will with whatever decision happens, but I want to be also within his preceptive will and make a good decision that is based upon his precepts. I mean, you think about how often, as I mentioned in the beginning, that we're making decisions. We want to know what is God's will. And oftentimes, we're just waiting for an answer. Just tell me, make it clear to me, God. And unless God sovereignly does that, you're still responsible to gather all the data, study the indirect and direct principles of Scripture, you're you're still responsible to weigh the purposeful use of freedom, to check your heart, seek counsel if needed, and then make the decision. Make the decision. So as one summary. This is from Gary Friesen, his book, Decision Making, the Will of God. He kind of summarizes it this way, that if the Bible directly addresses it, obey it. That's simple enough. If the Bible directly addresses it, obey it. I mean, in Scripture, there are places when God says specifically, abstain from sexual immorality for this is the will of god so we know god's will is if the question is should i engage in sexual immorality or not god's will says no that's settled right so if God's word directly addresses it we know sin for example we need to obey that that's that's pretty simple but even outside of that even good things we know if god the the bible directly addresses it obey it So there are some things, many things in Scripture that we know for certain that is God's will. For example, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for your life. It is God's will for you to give thanks at all times. You want to know God's will for your life? Give thanks. Abstain from sin. That's God's will for you. But these other things, if it does directly address it, obey it if it's there. If there's no direct or indirect principle or command, you're free and responsible to choose your behavior. In situations that have no bearing on biblical morality, you are still responsible to make wise decisions. And in all situations, you are to humbly submit in advance to God's sovereign will as it affects each of your decisions. So I hope that gives us a helpful starting point for making decisions. Again, we are we're, we're forced, compelled to make decisions all the time. This is a daily... We make decisions all the time, whether we don't realize it or not. Some are big or some are small. But I hope this gives us a strong biblical framework of, as a believer... How do I need to be equipped to make a good decision that glorifies God? Like, what what is it that I need? And God's word is sufficient for our need. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He won't leave you or abandon you in the time of trouble. He will give you wisdom if you pray and seek. He will give you wise counselors if you're humble enough to seek that out. And he will give you understanding to your own heart and motives as you align it with scripture. It's sufficient for us to make decisions, which we have to do all the time as Christians. So I pray this has been helpful for you. and. That's it, so I'll close us in prayer. Our good God, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have not left us without a comforter, that you have not left us alone, that, Lord, we realize so often that we are faced at crossroads. We don't know what to do. But yet, Lord, we know that even you said you will you'll never leave nor forsake us. And you also said, Lord, that you would send a comforter who would give us understanding, who would convict the world of sin and of righteousness, that God... You live within us in your spirit, and you've given us your word. Lord, I pray that we would be quick and earnest to dive into your word, to be worshipers of you, and to seek to obey you in every aspect of our life as we make decisions. So, Lord, I pray that you would use this for your glory, that you would use this to help us, to, to, to train us, to conform us to your likeness in just the mundane things of life, such as making decisions. So, God, use this, I pray for your glory, and your glory, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.